There's an expression we use for people who fulfill several roles or have several different jobs. We say um, that that person wears many hats. Well, Jesus wore many hats when he was uh, here on earth. He was, of course, the Messiah, the fulfillment of God's plan to bring salvation to all mankind. He was also a revolutionary. In fact, he stirred up the status quo so much that those who were in power at the time uh, put a price on his head. They wanted to kill him. He was also a teacher. All of that red ink in your Bible represents the words of instruction that Jesus gave to his followers. I think we could also say he was an amazing uh, motivational speaker because, again, in those red-letter passages, he offers some of the most inspirational, some of the most encouraging and uplifting words ever spoken. He was also a miracle worker. He enabled the lame to walk and the blind to see and the dead to live again. And then he was one more thing. He was a missionary. He left heaven and came to earth to share the good news of salvation. That makes him a missionary. Jesus himself said it in Luke 19.10. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now, of those six hats that Jesus wore, it's the missionary hat that gets the least amount of attention, which is unfortunate because if he hadn't decided to become a missionary first, then he wouldn't have been able to become all of those other things that he was in this world. And what all this means is that missions is woven into the very fabric of Christianity. Some people think that missions is kind of a side branch of the church, you know. It's good to be involved in missions if you have a little extra time and maybe a little extra money, but it's not really the main thrust of the church. Wrong. Missions should be who we are because it's who Jesus was. Again, he was a missionary before he was anything else. And that's why we set aside a Sunday every year, every November, the second Sunday of the month, to talk about missions. Because we never want this church to lose sight of what powers the kingdom of God forward in this world. It's not theology. It's not music. It's not Sunday morning worship services in various churches around the world. What powers the kingdom of God forward in this world is a passion for missions. Now, what do I mean when I talk about a passion for missions? I think a passion for missions can be defined as as simply this. It's the understanding that there are lots and lots of people out there who need Jesus, coupled with a desire to try to reach them. Now, as I said, Jesus was a missionary. And so what I want to do this morning is talk a little bit about his mission because his mission is our mission. So let's talk about it. First of all, I want to talk about the nature of Jesus's mission. You know, he talked a lot about the nature of his mission. For example, Luke 5, 31 and 32, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. And the part of that I want you to look at and focus on is that little interesting reference he makes to healthy people versus sick people. He said, I didn't come for healthy people. I came for sick people. 
And when he says that, what he's saying is that he came for the hard stuff, the ugly stuff. He came for the people and the life situations that are difficult and messy. When I was 22 years old, that was a long time ago. When I was 22, I had just graduated from Bible college, and my wife and I had our first full-time ministry. We were sitting at home one evening with our baby daughter, and the phone rang. And if I had known what I was going to hear when I picked up that phone, I don't know if I would have picked it up or not. It was one of the elders in the church I was serving at the time calling to tell me that a 16-year-old boy in our church had taken his father's shotgun out to the barn and committed suicide. I was 22 years old. I was about three months out of Bible college. I had no idea what to do. I was the minister of that church. I had no idea what to do, what to say. The elder on the church, I remember, he said, Mark, you got to go to their house. You're our minister. I remember driving out to that farmhouse that evening. It was after dark. And I remember praying out loud in the car. Lord, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to say. Lord, I I need you to get me through this. So I got to their house. It was summertime. And um, there was a screen door that led into the kitchen. And I could see through the screen door that the family was sitting around uh, the table there in the kitchen. And they weren't talking. They were all just kind of sitting there, uh, staring off into space. So I knocked on the door. And they didn't respond to the knock. They just sat there. So I opened the door and walked in, walked right into the room where they were sitting. Not one of them sitting at the table acknowledged my presence. They were in shock. They were just staring off into space. So I walked around the table and put my hand on the father's shoulder and leaned down and got right in front of his face and spoke to him. And only then that he acknowledged my presence. That was one of the worst nights of my life. One of the hardest things. I ever had to do. After 40-some years, it still hurts. And I remember thinking, as I drove back home later, is this what I signed up for? And the answer then, and the answer today, is yes. That's what I signed up for. 
When I said I want to make Jesus' mission my mission, that is what I signed up for because the mission of Jesus is not to healthy people. It's to sick people. It's not to whole people. It's to broken people. It's not to uh, well-adjusted people. It's to dysfunctional people. It's not to happy people. It's to sad and depressed people. It's not to easygoing people. It's to rude and difficult people. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. And that's why we have these statistics, which you can read for yourself on a website called soulshepherding.org. Listen to this. 75% of pastors report feeling extremely stressed. 90% of pastors work between 55 and 75 hours per week. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. 80% of pastors feel their work has negatively impacted their family. 100% of pastors know someone who has left the ministry because of burnout. 80% of pastors who go into church ministry last less than 10 years. And friends, I don't share these statistics with you to get you to feel sorry for pastors. I tell you these things because it illustrates an important truth about the mission of Christ. It's hard. Our mission is not to well people, it's to sick people. And that means the nature of this work we do for Christ, it's hard. And it always will be. Secondly, I want to talk a little bit about the scope of Jesus' mission, because we know Uh, the nature of his mission is to to broken and sick and and hurting people, then that automatically tells us the scope is going to be huge, right? Because the world is full of sick and broken people. In fact, we're all sick and broken at times, aren't we? Um, You might be doing really well today, and I hope you are. Your life might be going really well. But I think you all know that it could change in a heartbeat. Uh, At any moment, any day, something could happen and turn your life and your world upside down. And so what I would say is simply this. The world is full of people who are either sick and broken or on their way to being sick and broken. Because we're all going to be there uh, sooner or later. And that's why the first thing Jesus did when he launched his ministry was to recruit help. He he recruited some disciples that he could train to help him with the work and that he could leave in charge when he went back to heaven. And those disciples were sent out to recruit more disciples. Jesus knew he was going to need a big team because the scope of his mission was so big. And he was never vague about this. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, he said, Go and make disciples of all the nations. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That makes Jesus's, the scope of Jesus' mission gigantic. And it's important for us to think about this because we can fall into a trap. We can fall into the trap of believing that the scope of our mission here at PCC is not that big that it's mostly just right here in the northwestern corner of Osceola County. I've heard people say that they don't like to give to missions because there's so much that needs to be done here at home. 
I don't want to send my money off halfway around the world because there's so much that needs to be done here at home. And um, I've heard people criticize missionaries and say, you know, why would you take your family and drag your family halfway around the world to a third world country when there's so much you could be doing right here at home? And when I hear somebody say something like that, I know they don't have a passion for missions. And I just want to say this, that's okay. We all have different passions. We don't have the same passions. One person might have a passion for missions. Another person might have a passion for education and wants to work in a Bible college. Another person might have a passion for the homeless. Another person might have a passion for orphans. We need people with all kinds of different passions. We don't need everybody having the same passion. So if you don't have a passion for missions, that's okay. But as a mature Christian, you should at least care about what's going on outside your own little bubble. By way of illustration, uh, let me just ask this question. How many of you lived here in 2004 when Hurricane Charlie paid us a visit? Okay, quite a few. Uh, Charlie was nasty. Charlie was, was bad. And if you remember, he wasn't supposed to come here. If you remember, Charlie was kind of on the west coast of Florida, and he was supposed to kind of go straight up uh, past Tampa, maybe out in the Gulf a little bit. Uh, But that's not what happened. It got down around Fort Myers and made a northeasterly turn up uh, through the state, came right over the top of us with 109-mile-an-hour sustained winds. Well, a day or two before that storm hit, my wife and I met a new family. Um, a young family, young mom and dad with three little kids. And they lived down in the extreme southern portion of um, Poinciana. And so after that storm passed, the next morning, when things were quiet, I decided to get in my car and go down and check on them. And it was kind of interesting because um, I had to drive all around different roads. It was like working my way through a maze because there were so many trees down so many power lines across the road. And I remember as I was driving, I thought, man, it's going to take forever to get this mess cleaned up and to get the power back on. It was just a hopeless feeling. But I finally made my way down to South Marigo, south of um, Cypress Parkway. And I started driving down that way, and I saw something that brought tears to my eyes. Lined up along the side of the road, were over 50, and I know because I counted them, over 50 power line trucks lined up and ready to go to work. And here's the great thing. Those trucks were all different colors. Not one of them was from the state of Florida. They were from Alabama and Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina and Tennessee. I saw trucks from as far away as Illinois and Indiana. And I want to tell you something right now. When you're in a bad place, when you're suffering, and somebody from outside your own little pit of suffering comes to you and says, Hey, I'm not from around here, but I sure would like to help you. That is one of the most wonderful feelings you'll ever have. And some of you have seen it on the faces of people on mission trips. We've done a number of mission trips here, and some of you have gone to those mission trips, and you have seen the joy and the gratitude of the people you're there to help. 
And this is where we really have an opportunity to become Christ-like. You know, we talk about how important it is to be like Jesus. The goal of every Christian should be to be like Jesus. And it's, and it's in this area of caring about people outside our own little bubble that our Christ-likeness is put to the test. Because I'll tell you this, you could be a great Christian for 50 years. You could read your Bible every day. You could pray every day. You could go to church every Sunday. You could manage to go 50 whole years and never say a bad word. But I want to tell you something. If you do it all within your own little bubble and never step out of your own little bubble, you are not at all like Christ. Because Jesus was a missionary. He could have stayed in his own little bubble. And none of us would know salvation today if he had. So Jesus had a mission, um, and the scope of his mission was huge. Thirdly, I want to talk about the cost of Jesus' mission. You know, anytime the subject of cost comes up, whether it's in reference to buying a house or a car or a gallon of milk, we're all looking for a deal, aren't we? That's why uh, community colleges are popular. Students can go to community college before they go to university. They can save a ton of money. That's why Black Friday coming up and Cyber Monday are so popular because everybody's looking for a deal. That's why my wife and daughter want to get their hands on that public sale flower, flyer every week. You know, because you, you want a bargain. You want a deal. Well, I got good news for you. Jesus' mission is a bargain. When you talk about cost, it's a bargain. And I can illustrate this with some statistics that appeared in Relevant Magazine. If you're not familiar with it, it's a, it's a premier Christian magazine. Um, they did some research. Their research indicates that about 80% of the Christians in America give 2% or less of their income to the Lord's work. Now, let that sink in for a second. The Lord tells us in his word to give 10% to his work. But 80% of the Christians in America give 2% or less, which raises a question. What would happen if all the Christians in America did actually give 10% of their income to the Lord. Well, according to Relevant Magazine's calculations, there would be about $165 billion a year more than is currently being given. Now, think about that. If Christians all across the country all tithed, $165 billion more would be given to the Lord's work in a year's time. Have we forgotten how much money a billion dollars is? Have we lost sight of that? You watch the news and you hear about this government spending and you hear this word billion thrown around like it's nothing. Have we forgotten how much money that is? It is a gigantic amount of money. $162 billion more per year would be given to the Lord's work if Christians just tithed. Over a five-year period, that would be $825 billion. Now listen what the experts say could be done with $825 billion over a five-year period. Are you ready? Ready? 
With that amount of money, we could eliminate starvation worldwide. With that amount of money, we could eliminate illiteracy worldwide. With that amount of money, we could eliminate all sanitation problems and every need for fresh water in every country on earth. With that amount of money, we could fully fund every missionary currently preaching the gospel in every country on earth. And with that amount of money over a five-year period, the church would be able to do everything I just mentioned and still have $100 billion left over for ministry expansion. And here's the best part. Here's the best part. We could do all of this simply by making a very reasonable financial commitment to the Lord's work. Because the Lord does not ask you for 20 or 30 or 40 percent. The government does. But Jesus doesn't. He asks for only 10% of your income. And that's why I say that the mission of Christ in terms of cost is a bargain. Now, you might say, but Mark, there's never going to be a time when every Christian in America is going to tithe, give 10% of their income. And that's true. It is absolutely never going to happen. But you know what? More people could do it than are doing it. I mean, some of us could do better. Some in this room could do it who aren't doing it. And for every person who would commit to doing it, just that much more could be done for the mission of Christ. Will you make that commitment today? If you've been lazy in your giving, if you're one of those people, you know, that 80% that gives 2% or less of your income, would you commit to doing better? And let me remind you that if you don't make that commitment, you're going to have to explain that to God someday. And that's not my opinion either. Romans 14.12 says each of us will give a personal account to God. And I don't know exactly how that's going to happen. Uh, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if when we stand before God, he might just ask us some questions about how we lived our lives and why we did the things we did. I mean, he could ask you, why? I blessed you with so much. Why did you spend it all on yourself and never invested in my mission? That's a question I don't want to have to answer someday. And that's why my wife and I, every Sunday, make sure that we give to Jesus' mission in a way that would preclude the necessity of him asking that question. Are you one of those people who always talks about what you're going to give to the Lord but never actually do it? In 1969, a woman by the name of Lois Cheney wrote a book. The book is called God is No Fool. And in that book, she tells this story. There was a man who said one day, you know, I I would love to give more to the Lord's work. I would love to give more to the church. And someday, if I ever get my finances in order, I'm going to do it. But right now, I've just got so many bills, and I can't do it right now. But someday, I'm going to. And then he said, you know, I also want to get involved at church. Um, One of these days, I'm going to join some ministry teams at church, and I'm going to get involved. But right now, I'm working long hours, and I just just don't have the time. But someday, I'm going to. 
And so God heard this man say these things, and he thought, well, you know what? I'm going to give this man more time and more money. And so he blessed him. And his work schedule switched around to where he had more time, and uh, some financial blessings came into his life where he had more money. And so then God waited and waited and waited and waited. And the man never did anything. And so God said, okay, I'll take it all back. So God switched his work schedule around to where he didn't have any time anymore. And he took his money away from him. And then one day the man said, you know, if I had some of that money back, I would give to the Lord. And if I had some of that time I used to have, I promise you, I would get more involved at church. And God said, oh, shut up. I was taught when I was a little boy that saying shut up was naughty. And so I thought about not sharing that story with you today. I even asked Mike what he thought, if I should share that story or not. He told me I should share it, but I think he just wanted to get me in trouble. I'm not sure. I like that story. And even though in the story God says, oh, shut up, and maybe he wouldn't really say that, but I'll bet he'd think it. Because I think that's exactly how he would feel about people who are always talking about what they're going to do, but they never get around to doing it. See, that's what we got in this world. We've got 80% of Christians who give 2% or less to Jesus' mission. And I'm confident they don't realize how their stinginess hampers the mission of Christ and how they are literally standing in the way of so many good things that could be done. If you're one of those people standing in the way with your stinginess today, I pray that you'll make a commitment to do better. We put these flags up every year on Mission Sunday. And one of the reasons we do is just... So it can be a reminder to us of how big Jesus' mission is. Friends, we must think outside our own little bubble. And I'm asking you today to help us help Jesus fulfill his mission. Let's stand.